Hi, my name is David, uh, David Egia, and I'm part of the team here at Hope City, and it's such a great privilege to be sharing the Word of God with you today. Uh, I think I'm getting errors with my slide control. Okay, while Matt is fixing that, uh, maybe you would uh, help me with the slides uh, at my notice, okay? Okay, two months ago, um, uh, there was an outrage in Nigeria. Uh, if you can bring the slide up. Yeah, good. <laughs> Thank you very much, team. <laughs> two months ago, there was an outrage in Nigeria, where I come from, following the news of a gruesome murder of a uh, 21-year-old Deborah Samuel. She was a 200-level uh, Christian student at a college in Sokoto, northern Nigeria, up there. Right. She was accused of insulting Islam on a college web, uh, WhatsApp group. And so a mob led by her Muslim classmates responded with violence. She was flogged, put to death by stoning, and her body set ablaze. Unfortunately, our case is not an isolated incident. Long before now, allegations of blasphemy against Islam normally result in mob killing in northern Nigeria and I think in other parts of the world, and nothing has changed since her death. So in our current series, uh, in, the t in the book of Acts, we are at the point where Apostle Paul faced similar fate like this young Nigerian student. He was accused of teaching against the Jewish tradition and for bringing foreigners into the holy place of the temple. And these charges are very serious. I think the second one certainly attracts death penalty. And as Dave taught last week, a mob was ready to put uh, Paul to death. He was manhandled out of the inner court of the temple, and the gates of the outer court were slammed shut behind him so that the sanctuary would not be defiled with the killings that will follow. That would have been the end of Paul, but for a Roman guard who spotted the riot and reported it. The commander of the Roman soldiers with the troops came into the mob and rescued Paul. Paul was arrested. Paul was arrested and put to chain. And when the commander could not find out from the crowd what his crime was, he ordered that he be taken to um, to the barracks so that confession can be extracted from him. The crowd continued to demand that Paul be put to death. The violence was so great that Paul had to be carried up, to, uh, up the stairs leading to the barracks. That the disappointed crowd, apparently robbed of its victim, shouted, get rid of him, echoing similar demands for Jesus' death in the same city of Jerusalem 30 years before. The prospect of an interrogation by Roman soldiers would be dreadful to anyone in Paul's shoes. But however, at this stage, I and probably many of you will be relieved to escape with their lives to the barracks rather than spend any more minutes with the rioting mob. But Paul was always ready to take every opportunity and every circumstance to share the news of Jesus Christ. So in this circumstance, he used his personal story, 
This is my story to do that. And as followers of Jesus Christ, God commanded us to always be ready to share to everyone who asks us the reason for the hope that we believe in Christ. So we have a lot to learn from what Paul just did. So as I invite uh, Ed to help us come and read from Acts chapter 21, I will encourage you to follow the story carefully to see how Paul shares his own story so that we can learn from him to also share ours. Acts 21, verse 37, and then it will be on page 1119 if you have this one of the church Bible. Great. Thanks. Thanks, David. So page 1119, Acts 21, from the little number 37. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. (laughs) After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and a voice heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. 
Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr, Stephen, was shed, shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. Thank you, Ed. The passage we just read, um, it consists of two parts. From verse uh, 37 to 40 of 21, talks about Paul's request to address the crowd. And from verse 1 to 22 of chapter uh, 22, talks about Paul's defense. Uh, my message today is focused on Paul's defense, but I will highlight a few things from his conversation with the Roman commander. Upon Paul's arrest, the commander was undoubtedly uh, clear that Paul was a criminal. He was a common criminal. He asked that he be put to chain. And because he did not get clear answers from the mob about his crime, he ordered that he be taken to barracks for interrogation. The story says that Paul, however, grasped the attention of the commander when he requests to address them, and he made that request in Greek. So the commander was very surprised that Paul spoke fluent Greek, which was the language of the educated ancient world. So he asked, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? And Paul said, no, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, uh, a citizen of no ordinary uh, city. And it sounds like mistaking a proudly Scottish man for an Englishman. <laughs> and he would say, no, I am Scottish. I'm from Edinburgh, the best city in the world. <laughs> so the commander was quite impressed with Paul and allowed him to agree that he addressed the crowd. And the commander probably thought by allowing Paul to address the crowd, he may gain insight into what caused the riot. So Paul's decision to address the crowd in Aramaic must be disappointing in this regard. We may thankfully think that it's highly unlikely that we will be in Paul's position, in such position of being stoned to death and we're about uh, to be killed. But nonetheless, the church history uh, and events like what happened in Nigeria reminds us that being a Christian is a dangerous business and sharing the gospel always arouses hostile response. What is important in our lessons today is to see how Paul, in this situation, addresses the crowd using his testimony and how we can do that as well. He described what he's about to say in chapter 22, verse 1, as my defense. And the word translated defense is apologia, which describes a verbal explanation and justification for one's beliefs and action. And this was the same word the Apostle Peter uses in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, when he was saying, always be prepared to give, an answer, uh, to, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So each of us, if we are Christians, should be willing and able to defend what we believe, to give an answer for what we believe. And we can learn that from what Paul said to the crowd in Jerusalem. 
while what he said to them was personal to him, as our story, as our title, This is My Story, suggests, nonetheless, there are important lessons we can learn from Paul on how to share our own story. And Paul divided his story into three parts. And we'll look at each of these parts carefully to learn what he said there. The first part of his story is his life before Christ. And that is from verse 3 to 5 in chapter 22. So he begins by addressing them as brothers and fathers, which is, was a traditional Aramaic greeting in which he identifies with them. He identifies with the audience. And by addressing them in their own language, he got their attention. And needless to say that Paul was at home with three major languages and cultures of that time, the Greek, the Aramaic, and Latin. And each time, he made the best use of this knowledge uh, in different situations for a good cause. He spoke with the Roman soldier we saw earlier in Greek, and now he switched to Aramaic when he was addressing the non-Greek speakers, the Jews. And it's also a common experience in Nigeria. We have about 500 languages in Nigeria. And life can be easier to navigate in different parts of Nigeria and different culture if you understand how to speak these different languages in different regions of Nigeria. And it is the same with the gospel. The gospel will always attract attention if people hear it in their own tongue. And sadly, like many other Nigerian languages, my own language group, Eloi, is yet to have a complete Bible translation. Work is underway, and I'm happy to uh, discuss that with anyone who is interested to know a bit more. But from here, when Paul introduces himself, he then goes on to assure the crowd of his Jewish background, his birth, his upbringing, and training in verse 3. He was taught by a respected Jewish teacher Gamaliel, and he was zealous in in Jewish religion. He even shared how he persecuted the Christians to death and prison, in verse 4 and 5. And later in verse 19 and 20, he reminded them about his role in the mob execution of Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr. So clearly, his Jewishness cannot be disputed, and even the high priest and the council uh, uh, members of the council can testify themselves. He was as zealous for God and the law like his accusers. In fact, Paul claims in First Galatians, uh, chapter, uh, uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 3, 13 and 14, that his zeal for Jewish nationalism advanced beyond many of his contemporaries. It says in verse 13 of that Galatians, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But notice here that in Paul, uh, sharing about his experience before uh, Christ, he did not only intend to identify with his audience but he also wanted them and desired them to see their need for a savior. He knew that they were more interested in protecting, uh, uh, in protecting their own religion tradition rather than they were in submitting to God's revelation. So he used his personal example of how he was before Christ to demonstrate their need for Christ. 
He did what they call, he opened their open mouth or exposed their open mouth. He clearly expressed his desire for his fellow Jews in first uh, uh, in Romans chapter one, 10, verse 1 to 3, he says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So Paul knew that they were in the same position he was when he was uh, before he met Christ. And he wanted them to see their need for Christ, just like he had a need for Christ. He wanted to see that having a form of religion and an other form of moral background can sometimes blind people of their personal need for Christ, just like people who don't have any spiritual background at all. And then from here in the story, from verse 6 to 16, Paul now explains why and how he turned from being a persecutor to the follower of Jesus Christ. Here Paul tells them that it was Christ himself that changed him. He described his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. It was not something that he planned. He recalls how on his way to Damascus, he was blinded by light when Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, confronted him. It was Jesus that turned him around spiritually. And that alone explains his new understanding of God's righteousness. And he also explains how Christ directed Ananias to provide further instructions for his new life and mission. And he says that from verse 14, he says, Then Ananias said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So Ananias challenged him to respond to God's message says, what are you waiting for? And the correct response to God's message is obedience. And Paul demonstrated that obedience by confessing Jesus as Lord. When he recognized that Jesus was speaking to him, Paul surrendered to Jesus by asking, what shall I do, Lord? And not only that, all of Paul's subsequent actions, from his baptism to acceptance of the commission to be a witness of Christ, result from his submission to Jesus as Lord. And if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ today, I'm glad that you are here, and I hope you can follow the story of Paul and follow also his example as he reasons over the facts presented to him by Christ. Paul was willing to change his mind when he found out who Jesus is. And the question is whether you are willing to do the same. He had a different view of Jesus, and like his accusers, he was zealous for God, but his zeal was not based on the truth of the gospel. And after his encounter with Jesus, he turned around from being a persecutor to a disciple. He provides a very good example how we should respond to the gospel message. And it is helpful to state here that each person's journey to Jesus is different and unique. 
You don't need a dramatic Damascus Road experience to know Jesus or to believe uh, in him. Everyone has a story of how he came to Jesus, and here's a little bit of my own story. I was fortunate to come from a Christian family with memories of church every Sunday morning. And like you guys know it, Christmas time was always the best time of the year. But at the age of 10, my view of God was impacted by circumstances surrounding the death of my little sister. After that, I became more conscious of death. I was afraid of judgment, and I became resentful towards God for what happened to my family. Later, I became a Christian following teachings of Bible stories from Sunday school and at home. And then I began to learn a little bit more uh, uh, personally from God. I understood that accepting Jesus as my Savior makes me a child of God. That's why I believe in, 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 in Christ. And I know that having done that, heaven is my home and I don't need to be afraid of, of a coming judgment. But the real deal of my Christian convictions came when I was about 13 and 14. I wanted to please my mom for an offense that I, I, I committed. I just wanted her to be happy, so I asked her if she should, she would teach me a Bible verse. And then later on, she took me to Proverbs chapter 15, verse 20. I'm not suggesting it to parents who have children who disobeyed at the point. But from there, I learned this, this verse, and I began to read more and more from the book of Proverbs and other parts of the Bible, I developed personal interest in reading the Bible. The intake of God's Word started to reshape my view of God and death. And my love for God grew, and at the age of 15, I was baptized. Today, when I see death coming, I will still run away. Perhaps just like everyone else. But I'm not afraid of what lies behind the curtains of this life, because I know what Christ has done for me. For I'm fully convinced of God's unconditional love. And instead of resentment towards God during life's struggles, I run to him for help. For I know that he deeply cares for me. So when I think about my life, I'm so thankful that I met and accepted Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And the question is, whether you have had a personal experience, a personal encounter with Christ at a point in which you confess that Jesus is Lord, and whether you have publicly testified to that allegiance through baptism, following uh, um, uh, example through baptism, because that's the only requirement for baptism is, is a personal experience with Christ. Once you have a personal experience with Christ, I think Hope City is happy to baptize you. But if you haven't, there's no better place and time to do it than now and here. So we'll be happy to talk to you, and we'll be happy uh, to arrange if you want to be baptized, uh, to be baptized. So far, we have seen two things. We have learned two things from Paul's story, his life before Christ and his encounter with Christ. But there's a final third thing we can learn from Paul's story as we share our own story. And that was his life with Christ, from verse 17 to 22. 
Here Paul explains how his commission at Damascus to be God's witness to all people was reaffirmed in a vision he received as he was praying in the temple. The Jews had rejected his message and God commanded him to leave Jerusalem. And he says here on the screen, The Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voice and shouted, Read the earth of him. He's not fit to leave. We can see that Paul has been very careful with the language he used to address the people. He sought to identify with them and not alienate them. And when he recounted his commission earlier in the speech in verse 15, he says he was a witness to all people instead of using the word Gentiles. But now, in answer to the original accusation against him, he needs to declare that Greeks, the foreigners, are not excluded from God's presence as the dividing wall of the temple courts declared. During most of Paul's speech, the crowd listened with great attention, but now he explains that God asked him to leave Jerusalem and go far away to the Gentiles who had no relation to Judaism. It is at this point that the Jewish crowd become enraged, and that triggers a violent response such that Paul cannot continue to speak. Clearly, the major reason for the opposition uh, to Paul is his gospel outlook that includes Gentiles into God's redemptive plan on the same basis as the Jews. I guess today there are few people who are offended with the fact that the good news of Christ is not only uh, for, for the Jews, but for all people. But today there are many people who are offended by the claim that Jesus is the only way and not just a way to God. Jesus is the only way, and when you say that, people are still offended. So we can see that in every generation and in every culture, the gospel aroused a hostile reaction at some point. And if it doesn't, it's either we're not preaching the authentic gospel or we're preaching to people who are converted. They wouldn't be offended if they hear that. But if we are preaching to people that Jesus is the only way and not just a way, many people will still be offended today. Let me share one more thought in Paul's story after his life with Christ, after giving his life uh, to Christ. And that is the healing of his open nerve of Jewish nationalism. In accepting his commission to the Gentiles, Paul showed how God healed his open nerve of Jewish nationalism through the changes that Christ brought into his life. And he knows that it is only through Christ that his listeners can be healed too. And it's a fact of life that in, in the life of every person, there are open nerves, there are life struggles, there are challenges in the life of every person. And in sharing our faith and our story, we, like Paul, can give people hope by sharing the healing and help we receive in dealing with our own open nerves through our work with Christ. It gives people hope to know that Christ can heal them, Christ can help them just the way he helped us with our own open nerves. So we should incorporate that into our story that we share with the people. What should we learn from, in summary from what Paul uh, shared about his life and the surrounding circumstances? 
we can see that following Christ and sharing the gospel will provoke a hostile response. And there are two warnings that we need to take heed of as Christians. We must be prepared to suffer for what we believe, just like people in the early church and people in other parts of the world, and I'm sure you also perhaps have your own personal experience. But if what we have seen and heard and experienced in Christ is true, if our Christian experience is true, then we must also be prepared to give an answer, to share our story in defense of what we believe. The story of our personal journey to Christ may not be as dramatic as that of Paul, but it is unique and can be used by God to reach people like us. People that think like us, people that are in surrounding circumstances like us, can be reached through our personal story, through our story of our journey to Christ and our walk with him. And in sharing our story, who knows what friend, what family member, what individual in a crowd will switch side like Paul and then be used powerfully for his glory and honor. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Father, for showing us your love through Christ. Please help us to share the hope that we have in Christ to those around us through our personal stories. Amen. Now invite the band to lead the response. You can have it. Paul's encounter with Jesus changed him completely, changed who he was, what he thought was important, uh, and how he would spend the rest of his life. And if you're a Christian, someone who knows Jesus as their saviour, then meeting him will have changed you. That's what David's saying. Maybe not quite as dramatically, but just as fundamentally. And we're going to sing a song that reminds us Christians of that meeting. Uh, different for each one of us, but the same Savior who bled and died for us. It's an oldie, but it is a goodie, so let's stand together and let's sing. And if you know Jesus, then sing with joy in your heart. Savior's love. <laughs> 